Well, my name is Blake. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Grace, and I need to start with a parental warning. So if your kids are with you this morning and you're not ready to have a talk with them about pornography, you may not want to be in this sermon. We can't talk about social media without talking about that. So um, at, at any time, you can exit with your kids. Dusty Davis is actually going to be outside these double doors if your kids want to play with him, and I promise you they will have a better time than us. So you can do that right now if you'd like. So if your kids, let me give you that warning, but then caution you. If your kids, even as they exit, if they are beginning to spend time on an internet-connected device or on a computer, then they do need to have this talk with you soon. The statistics are in that our kids are beginning to see pornography around the age of six. Okay, so they need to be ready for what they're going to see. So even if they're exiting, if they're on the internet, you need to talk with them about this later today or sometime very soon. So we're going to talk about social media and the internet today, and there is no possible way I can say everything that needs to be said about the internet in one sermon. All I can do today is get the conversation started. And so my goal is relatively simple. I am going to share with you some of the principles and practices that I have discovered from scripture, from research, and from conversations with other believers that can guide your use of the internet and social media and help you to train your kids to enter into that world. As I walk you through this material, I have to be clear, I I can't be dogmatic in anything that I say today because there's nothing in the Bible about the internet. It wasn't around back then. There's no passage in red letters from Jesus talking about Instagram. So we don't have any absolute verse we can point to and say, that's how you should use Facebook. That's how you should use the internet. All we can do is try our best through what the Bible does say to arrive at some general principles and some basic practices. And I'm going to share mine with you this morning and you may disagree with some of them and that's okay. All I would ask is that you would listen to the conclusions that I have drawn and that you would think carefully and biblically about some of those and how they might apply to you and to your family. Okay, I just want to get this conversation started. I want to get you thinking about this and your life and in your family. So to help you enter into this topic of the internet and social media, let me tell you my story. My journey into the internet began with this box back in 1988. This is my first computer. Macintosh SE. This was the bomb. I love this thing. It came with a whopping 20 megabyte hard drive and one megabyte of RAM. Do you notice the words I'm using? Megabyte, not gigabyte. And yet it cost us $2,500. Nowadays, here's my three-year-old iPhone. It shipped with 1,000 times the RAM, 800 times the storage, 350 times the processing power, an infinitely better screen, and it costs a fraction of what that computer cost. Computers have come so far in 30 years, and yet that pace of progress is nothing compared to how far the internet has come since its birth around 30 years ago. The internet has changed dramatically, and it has changed our world dramatically. I'm curious. Raise your hands if you can remember life before the internet. Good number of you can. You can remember 
talking on phones that had those coiled cords that you would accidentally wrap around furniture as you walked around the house. And you can remember that when you wanted to write a letter to someone, you actually had to write with a pen and fold it up and put a stamp on it and put it in this thing we used to call a mailbox. And you remember that when you went to the bathroom, the only thing in there was Reader's Digest because what else are you going to read when you're doing your business? We didn't have any other options back then. Think about how much the world has changed since that time. For me, it really changed in 1994 when I came here to Texas A&M University and I moved into Dunn Hall right after it was wired with the Ethernet. All of a sudden, the Internet went from this novelty that you didn't really care about because you had to do it through dial-up modems and they were incredibly slow. All of a sudden, it was incredibly fast, an incredible amount of bandwidth coming into that dorm. And so we saw our lives begin to change overnight. We were more likely to communicate by email than picking up the phone. And we did research for our papers on our computers online instead of going to Evan's library. And we began to connect with new friends by playing games with them or hanging out in chat rooms online rather than face-to-face. So much changed so fast. And that was all before the advent of smartphones and social media. Think about it. If you are 40 years or older like I am, think about how much your life has changed because of the Internet. How you connect with friends and family radically changed. How you do your job. How you get an education. How you pay your bills. How you get medical advice. It has all changed dramatically because of the internet. In fact, I would argue that the internet has changed the human race faster and more profoundly than any other technological innovation ever. And all of that change has brought us many good things. There's a lot of good effects of the internet and social media on the human race. For example, we now have access to almost all human knowledge ever at our fingertips. And and we now have freedom for persecuted groups to get their message out to the world. And we've seen incredible growth economically because of the internet. It's driven prices down, choice up, spawned whole new industries and businesses. We've seen ourselves be able to connect with more people throughout the world than ever before. So a lot of good that's come through the internet, but also a lot of bad. A whole lot of evil and suffering has come to the human race through the internet. The internet, very early in its existence, quickly became a tool for criminals and terrorists and racists and pedophiles to get their message out. The advent of social media created a petri dish to grow fake news and gossip and hatred online. And don't even get me started about pornography. Nancy Jo Sales says in her groundbreaking book, American Girls, Social Media and the Secret Lives of Teenagers. The adoption of the internet in American life is inextricably tied to porn. In 2015, porn sites were among the most popular in cyberspace, accounting for up to 35% of internet traffic. Porn is more available now than it has ever been, and for the first time, it is readily available to everyone, including kids. Studies have reported that American children start seeing online porn as young as age six. And now, thanks to social media, our kids are not only consuming porn, they're producing porn by taking and sharing nudes. There are, she says, slut pages at every high school in America where non-consensual nude pictures of girls at the school are shared, followed by anonymous, horrible comments. 
every single large social media platform, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all of them are used to distribute pornography. It is everywhere. And beyond even the blatantly evil stuff, research is showing us that the internet and social media are having major effects on us as individuals and our society. I'll give you three examples. First of all, internet and social media are changing the structure of our brains, literally. Your use of the internet and social media is rewiring the neurons in your brain. It is changing the way that you think and process information. Now, on the good side, the human race is growing in our ability to process a wide ocean of interconnected data. But that improvement comes at a really significant cost. The cost is that as a species, humans are growing less and less able to think deeply and critically about any one thing. I've seen that in my own life. Over the last 10 years, as, as my life has moved more online, more interaction with social media and the internet, it's harder for me to concentrate and think deeply about one thing for a long period of time without getting distracted by something else. I think that's part of the reason that we see a complete collapse of mature political discourse in this country. I don't know if you know this, but back when Abraham Lincoln was president, Crowds would sit quietly and listen to politicians explain their views with precision and nuance and debate one another for hours. Today, a politician is lucky to get 30 seconds to explain himself or herself. And everything that he or she says has to be boiled down to 140 characters so it fits on Twitter, right? But you're not going to get good politics if it has to fit on Twitter. Our ability to think deeply and maturely about important things is declining because of our use of the internet and social media. That's a dangerous thing for us as individuals and for us as a society. Second problem we see coming out of our use of the internet and social media, it is fueling comparison and starving contentment. Author Michael Harris says, online life is a toxic enabler of the desire to compare. Human beings, we've always struggled with that desire to compare ourselves to other people, see how we measure up. But at no point in all of human history did we have such access to a never-ending stream of pictures and posts and videos to compare ourselves to. And here's the problem. What do you post online? You always post the good stuff, right? You post the idealized version of your life, not the bad stuff. So a couple months ago, I posted this amazing video of my son reading the Bible, and it was precious, it was beautiful, it was awesome. I did not post a video of the fight we had literally five minutes later over whether he was going to brush his teeth or not that night. Now, I'm not going to share the fight. I'm only going to share the good stuff. And so the result is that when you go onto social media, all you will ever see is everyone else's idealized life, and yet you see all of the mess in your life, you're never going to win that comparison. You go onto social media and you always lose. It drives inferiority, this need to compare, and you always lose as a final result. Social media gives us this skewed perspective on reality that makes us fear that we are missing out on the perfect date, the perfect vacation, the the perfect parenting moment that everyone else is having. So social media, internet, fuels comparison, 
stars contentment. Third, it is destroying civility and kindness in our country. There are two technological features that were designed into the internet from the very beginning that are empowering cruelty in our world. The first is anonymity. I hate this one. You are able to post or share things on the internet anonymously so that people do not know it's you. That fuels cruelty. Second feature, distance. When you post something mean on the internet, you are not actually in the same room with the person you were just mean to, which means you don't get to see the look of sadness, shock, and pain come over their face. That distance protects you from seeing the consequence of what you just posted. And so because of anonymity and distance, we see this incredible growth of a toxic culture online. Brutality, cruelty, hatred, racism. We see that with kids. Realize our kids, as young as late elementary school and junior high, they are bullying each other so mercilessly online that kids are committing suicide over it. We see it with adults too. Saying racist, hateful, horrible things online that they would never say face to face. The internet and social media have bred such evil and suffering in our society. But here's the deal. We can't put it away. We can't put the internet back in the bottle. This genie's not going back. We invented the internet without ever stopping to ask, should we? We just did it because we could. And now it's here. And so the question for us as followers of Jesus is, what should we do with this world of the internet and social media that is so full of of hatred and evil and suffering? Well, some Christians are going to choose what I call the Ron Swanson option. Okay. Um, There are these things called cookies, where like if you go to a site and buy something, it'll remember you and then create ads for other stuff you might want to buy. So it learns information about me? Seems like an invasion of privacy. Dude, if you think that's bad, go to Google Earth and type in your address. (laughs) The Ron Swanson option is to get off the grid. Once and for all, you take yourself and your family off the internet, off social media, so that you avoid all the evils therein. For most of us, that's not an option. How many of you can actually do your job without ever going online? I certainly couldn't. If you're a student, you can't take classes anymore without going online. We all have to live on this online world. We're wed to the internet until death do us part. And so, how do we live as followers of Christ in this dangerous and violent online world? Well, let me start by giving you two guiding principles. They're kind of the curbs along the side of the road to keep you balanced. Two guiding principles. They both come from the same verse, actually, in the book of Matthew. I think it's the most important verse in the Bible on the subject of the internet and social media. It is Matthew 10, 16. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. He is sending his disciples out into the world to reach the world with the love of Jesus. But he wants them to understand, as you go out into the world, you need to know this world is dangerous. It's full of wolves, and that's a perfect way to describe the internet. It is literally full of wolves. 
people who want to harm you, people who are sharing violent, racist, pornographic stuff. Horrible place. Jesus is sending his disciples into that dangerous world. And so principle number one, he wants them to be vigilant to remain innocent. He wants them to to be vigilant, to remain pure as doves, to remain innocent, undefiled from this dangerous world that they're entering into. Jesus wants us to be incredibly careful in our use of the internet and in how we train our kids to use the internet so that it will not steal our innocence. That's a really, really sad thought to me. How How many individuals and kids in this country have lost their innocence because of the internet? countless number. My prayer is it wouldn't happen to you or your kids. You would be diligent to protect yourself and your kids from the harm that's out there. So we need to be vigilant to remain innocent. But that begs the question, so why not just avoid it altogether? Well, why didn't Jesus pull his disciples back and protect them from the world? Well, because then they couldn't do ministry. You can't share Jesus with the world unless you're in the world. And that's the whole reason you're on the planet Earth. I don't know if you know that. But the whole reason God has left you on the planet Earth is so that you can share Jesus with people who don't know him. So you have to enter into the world to share the good news of the gospel. Remember, what what is the gospel? You have the greatest news ever told. That there's a God in heaven who loves us so much that he took on human flesh, lived a perfect life, died for our sins, and rose from the dead so that he could give us eternal life as a free gift. You get to tell people that God's love isn't something to earn. It's not something to buy. It's not something to work for. You just have to say, yes, it's free. But you can't tell the world that good news unless you enter the world. So Jesus wants us to go where the world is and the world's online. That's where life is lived now. So you have to be willing to enter that online world, but Jesus wants you to do it with wisdom. Be shrewd as serpents. What he means is to be prudent. He wants you to use your mind to to understand the world of the internet, the world of social media, so that you will know how to interact with it in a way that results in good. And that's really the second principle here. As we are vigilant to remain innocent, let us also wisely use the internet for good. Because the internet for all of the pain and suffering it has led to, it's also brought about a lot of good. It can be an incredible tool for good if used wisely. The internet and social media actually can be a way that you connect with people who would never enter the doors of this church. Maybe you connect through a shared hobby or, hey, you grew up in the same town. You connect with them and you get to share the love of Christ with them online. The internet is how... Organizations like Breakaway and Crew share the gospel with tens of thousands. It's how seminaries train pastors in closed countries. It's how charities raise billions of dollars to serve the needy. There's so much good that comes from the internet. Jesus wants you to engage with the internet and social media to reach the world for him. But he wants you to do it wisely. He wants you to do it diligently, carefully, so that you can remain innocent. So those are the two big principles that guide us. Now let's get into the really practical stuff. I'm going to walk you through some practices that I have discovered from scripture, from research, and from talking to other pastors and staff at Grace. I'm going to walk you through these practices divided into two groups. First, we're going to talk about us, 
our own individual use of the internet and social media, how do we make sure we're using it in a way that honors Jesus? Then we're going to talk about us as parents. How do we as parents train and prepare our kids to use the internet and social media well? Okay, so that's where we're headed. Let's start with us. How should we personally use the internet and social media in a way that honors the Lord? First, practice for you, perhaps the most important, you got to limit the amount of it that you let into your life. Here is a truth. I hope you already know this. If you don't, write it down. You need to understand that all social media is addictive by design. Why does Facebook or Twitter or Instagram exist? To make money. They are not charitable organizations. They exist to make money. And how do they make money? By getting more of your time and attention. So all of them have massive research departments dedicated to finding ways to get your eyeballs glued to their platform more. And they're incredibly good at it. Every feature designed into social media, like following, liking, sharing, posting, tweeting, all of it is designed to get your attention for longer, to make you addicted to their platform. Addiction is good for their bottom line. So you need to understand, all social media is inherently addictive. So let's be really clear morally. Social media is not inherently sinful. But when it becomes an addiction, then it becomes sin for you. Paul talks about that in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Something that is morally neutral becomes a sin in your life when you let it grow into an addiction that controls you. Okay, so how do you know if you're addicted to social media? Here's top three signs of addiction to social media. Number one. Online relationships become more important to you than face-to-face relationships. That's not a good sign. Second, face-to-face relationships are interrupted by online activity. If you're talking to someone, like literally right here in front of you, and you can't help pulling out the phone and scrolling through the wall, that's a sign of addiction. Third sign, and this one's pretty positive that you're addicted, if you start to shake 10 minutes after being on social media because you want more of it, that's a bad thing. If you can't go 10 minutes without feeling anxiety that you need to check your status again, that's a sign of addiction. Statistically, a very large percentage of our population, maybe as high as 40 to 50 percent, is already addicted to social media. How do you fight back against that tendency of social media to addict you? I'm going to give you four ideas, very practical. You don't have to do all of these, just choose one. One to put into practice in your life or in your family. First idea, practice Sabbath. This is just like Jews and Christians have practiced for millennia. They take one day a week off from work. Let us take one day a week off from the internet and social media. So it doesn't mean that you don't have your phone if somebody needs to get hold of you. But for one day a week, you just say this day, no Facebook, no Twitter, no internet. I'm offline one day a week to protect myself from becoming addicted. A second idea for you, ban devices from meals. I got this great idea from a TED Talk, actually. When you go to lunch or dinner with your friends, as soon as you sit down at the table, the first thing you all do is pull out your phones and put them face down in the center of the table. First person to grab their phone before the check comes pays the check, all of it. That'll keep you talking to each other. If you're at home where there's no check, then just turn it into first person to grab their phone before dinner is done, does all the dishes. 
Do things to challenge yourself to engage with one another rather than turning to the easy escapism of a device. Third idea for you, schedule off hours. Your device comes with a remarkable thing called an off button. Now, I know on, on iPhones, it's hard to find. You've got to like hold a button down and then you get this slider. Use it. Turn your device off. Put it on airplane mode. Have periods of the day when you are not allowed to use this. So maybe it's 9 p.m. to 6 a.m. The device is off and you can't check it. One of the things that's really concerning is the effect that our devices are having on us if we use them right before we go to sleep or first thing in the morning. It's doubly bad. Okay, so have off hours scheduled into your use of your device. Fourth and final idea, set up restricted spaces. So these are places where you live or act where devices are not allowed. So maybe it's your bedroom. No no devices, no social media allowed in your bedroom, so you actually have to talk to your spouse. Maybe it's when you're in the car together. So now, let's be clear. If you're driving, you better not be reaching for the device. But if you're riding in the car, rather than grabbing your device and flipping through it, why don't you actually talk to the other person in the vehicle with you? That's kind of a novel idea. Get to know that person better and chat with them. Set up restricted spaces. So again, just choose one of these ideas to begin to practice in your life and in your family to fight back against addiction. And here's the deal, guys. Social media is a powerful opiate. It will addict you if you let it. The rule is you either control social media or it will control you. There is no middle ground. So you must proactively set these boundaries so that you keep it under control. If you don't try to control it, you will end up addicted for sure. Second practice. Assume everyone will see everything. I'll be honest with you guys. I I am utterly stunned that anyone in this day and age still believes in something called online privacy. How many times does a celebrity have to have his or her nude pictures hacked and posted online? How many times does a big box store like Target have to get hacked and all of their accounts put online? How many times do we have to see democratic emails leaked online before we're finally willing to recognize there is no such thing as privacy online? You realize the CIA got hacked. If they got hacked, I can promise you, your posts, your emails, and your pictures are not safe. There is no foolproof privacy online. Therefore, you must assume that anything you post or type or share online can be seen by everyone, everywhere, forever. Even if you use those so-called disappearing apps that are all a lie, Snapchat, you can easily save what you just shared on Snapchat forever and share it with the whole world. There is no foolproof way to share anything online purely anonymously or purely privately. You must recognize that. And so I would challenge you, never share, post, send, or text anything that you are not okay with everyone seeing forever, including your spouse or your future spouse, your parents, your kids, your boss, your pastor. If you're not okay with everyone seeing it, then don't put it out there. Students, I want to particularly challenge you. Hopefully one day you're going to sit down for an interview to get a job. You're going to sit down across the table from someone who would be your boss you got to recognize that if they are determined enough, they can find everything you have ever posted online, even if you thought you were doing it privately. 
They can find a way to get it. And so think twice before posting that picture or comment that you are going to regret when it's set down on the table in front of you at that interview. There is no such thing as privacy online. Always assume anything you post, share, or comment can be seen by everyone in the world, everywhere, forever. Third practice for you guys. Consider the content. Think about what exactly you are sharing and whether or not it honors God. Here's the the verse to guide us, Ephesians 4.29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Here's the key. When Paul talks about speech here, he is not just talking about words that come out of your mouth. He is also talking about words that come from your fingers as you type them on a keyboard. This verse applies to our online speech and text as much as anything we say face to face. And so every word you put online needs to follow this rule. It needs to be wholesome. It needs to give grace. It needs to be kind. Now, you can still be funny, and you can still challenge people online, but it must always be good for them. It must never cause harm. So the rule is, never say anything online that you would not say to someone face-to-face. That's my rule in life. I will never put anything on the internet that I am not willing to say directly to the person's face period. And that goes also for all anonymous speech. Even if you're doing it and not tying your name to it, we have to remember we're not anonymous with God. He knows, he sees. So at Hip Hop Augustine, I don't know who you are, but God does. And so you better make sure that your tweets honor God. Okay, so consider the content before you hit enter. Fourth practice for you, consider your motives. Honestly, think about what is motivating you to post this comment or share this picture or video. Is it a good motivation? Are you trying to say thanks? Are you trying to encourage someone, help someone have a good day? Are you trying to participate in a productive conversation? Or are you trying to feed your ego, trying to get more likes, more followers? That's not a righteous motive. Remember, God cares about our motives as much as our actions, So if you smell the whiff of an unrighteous motive, uh, pride, selfishness, a desire for vengeance, then stop. Don't post that thing. God cares about our motives. Fifth practice to guide your use of social media, consider the consequences. Everything that you post online will affect someone. It will probably affect many someones. And so it is your responsibility to think ahead of time about how what you post online will affect everyone who sees it. You need to think. When, when they see this comment, when they see this post, when they see this picture, when they see this video, will it bless them or will it hurt them? Will, will it offend them? Will it embarrass them? Will it cause them to grieve? Will it cause them sadness? Now, that doesn't mean that you can never offend anyone. Sometimes people need to be offended. That's not what this is about. It's also, I'm not trying to get you to so overanalyze things that you never post anything online. We're never going to be able to predict all of the consequences. What I'm trying to get you to do is, is just pause for a moment and think truthfully. What effect is this going to have on the people who see it? Is it going to be good for them? If not, don't share it. So I'll give you three examples. This first one, you may disagree with. That's okay. You do not have to follow my conviction here. 
When you go to dinner or a movie or a party or an escape room with a small group of your friends, but not all of your friends are invited, and you guys have a wonderful time, and you snap a picture, and then you share it online, how do all of your friends feel when they see that come up on their feed if they weren't invited? I think they probably feel lonely and and unloved, uncared for. So why share it? If a party happens and no one shares it on Facebook, did it happen? Yes, it did. Absolutely. You do not have to share it. Sharing it on Facebook does not complete the party. You can just enjoy the moment. And so again, you may disagree with me on this, and that's okay, but I would challenge you to think carefully. When you're about to share that picture or that video or that comment, how are people going to feel who weren't invited to this thing? Are they going to feel blessed or are they going to feel insecure and unloved? A second example. This is for parents. What pictures and jokes are we sharing online about our kids? A 2010 study found that 92% of American children have an online presence before the age of two. Parents post nearly 1,000 images of their children online before their fifth birthday. Parents wrap their children's online identities into their own online selves. And so many children growing up today experience the world as a never-ending series of photo shoots for public consumption. We're raising our kids to be performers. And so I would challenge us as parents, myself included, we need to think. Before we post or share any picture or comment or joke with or about our kids... We need to ask ourselves, is this good for my child? Is it good for my child right now? Is it good for my children when they see it in 10 years? Because they will. Remember, once you post it online, it's online forever. So maybe they're five right now and they don't care, but they're going to be 15 one day. And are they going to feel embarrassed by what you shared or blessed by what you shared? Parents, let's be incredibly careful to protect our children. It is never okay to build our social online presence on the backs of our children. Be really careful about what you share of your kids. Third example for you. Before posting or linking to something political or strongly opinionated, you need to think about how this could affect your witness for Jesus. Okay, so do you have the right to share something political or opinionated online. Yes, you absolutely do. But is it good? Maybe not. If it gets in the way of you being able to share Jesus with someone who maybe disagrees with you politically, then maybe you shouldn't share that. Does the world really need you to share that article, that political opinion online? We need to be willing to sacrifice our rights to share our politics and opinions online when they get in the way of us doing the the thing that we're here on earth to do, which is to share Jesus and word and deed with those who don't yet know him, with those who might disagree with your politics but need to hear about your Savior. And when you look at all five of those, here's the biggest idea of all when it comes to our personal use of the internet. If you're going to do these things, if you're going to consider the content and the motives and the consequences, you must slow down. And so that's my big idea for you. We have to slow down our interactions on the internet and social media to give us time to think before we post. 
So I'm going to challenge you to give yourself the five-minute rule. This is, this is kind of my rule. When you want to write a comment or post a picture or a video online, here's what you do. You get it all queued up. You, you type it out. You get it ready to share. You load it up. It's all ready to go. All you have to do is hit enter and then stop for five minutes. Just give yourself five minutes to think about whether this thing you're about to share is good for the people who will see it. Give yourself five minutes to pray and for God to speak to you and convict you if this isn't okay to share. You will never regret the stuff you don't share, but you very well may regret the stuff you do. I thank God for the comments and posts I have not shared because I paused long enough to realize that would haunt me. So principles to guide our own use of the internet. Now let's talk about our kids. How do we help our kids? How do we prepare our kids to enter the world of the internet and social media? Well, that question actually reminds me of what Luke and I, my my seven-year-old son, what we were doing yesterday. Um, We had to clean out the garage. It's a lot of work. It was a really hot day. So Luke came out in the garage to to help me. You know what it's like when a seven-year-old helps me um, or helps you. He, he worked for about five minutes and then he started playing around. And what does he do? He, he climbs right into, I have a, a little Miata. And so he climbs into this car. And what was remarkable yesterday is it was the first day when he could actually reach the pedals if I put a pillow behind his back because he's, he's in like a growth spurt. He's growing really fast. And so he sees that he can reach the pillow, pedals. And so what does he ask? Daddy, can I drive your car? Well, buddy, you're seven years old. No, you can't drive the car. Come on, let's get back to work. But he just kept asking, Daddy, 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 can I drive? Can I drive? Can I drive? He just asked and asked and asked. He's distracting me. He's tugging on my arm, and i got to clean the garage. Like, I have to get this done. And so he just keeps asking and begging, and finally he wears me down. And so I back the car out, and I point it down the street, and I get it running. And, and I put him in and buckle him in and put that pillow behind his back. And then I say, okay, buddy, have fun. And I got back to work, and I got the garage all cleaned out. How many of you figured out I'm lying? (laughs) Absolutely none of that happened. How do you know I'm lying? Because you know that no sane parent would ever do that. Not only would it be illegal, like I'd go to jail for doing that, but it would be incredibly dangerous. Luke would die. No rational parent would ever give a running car to a seven-year-old, so why in the world would we give an unrestricted internet-connected device to a seven-year-old. It is absolutely as dangerous as a running car or a loaded gun. Your child is one click away from a world of pornography, violence, hatred, racism, and abuse. What's remarkable to me is that we make kids wait till they're 16 to drive. We make them take driver's ed, practice driving with adults, pass a test, and only then will we give them the keys. And yet we will hand an unrestricted internet-connected device to a child far younger than that with no oversight and say, hey, have fun. That's criminal negligence on our part. That's ludicrous. Now, I'm not saying that your child needs to be 16 before you give them a device. They'll pin child to child. What age? What I'm saying is, as parents, we need to recognize the incredible power and danger inherent in an internet-connected device. It is like a loaded gun or a running car. We must protect our children before we hand them that device. And so, parents, I want you to do three things. 
before you give your child an internet-connected device. I want you to train them. I want you to set boundaries. And I want you to provide oversight. Let's talk about all three of those. We'll start with training. This is the most important because at some point, your boundaries and your oversight will fail. If you have a tween or a teen, chances are they already understand the internet better than you. And so they can get online no matter what you do. They can get around any filter you set. So training is the most important thing because that's what will last with them. And so you want to train them ahead of time for the evil stuff that you know they're going to experience and see online. And, and when I talk about training, there's really four th- conversations that I have in mind, four difficult conversations that you need to have with your children. And when you have these conversations, you need to be frank and honest, and you need to use the real words. Don't beat around the bush and talk in Sunday school language. Be honest about exactly what your child is going to see. Train them ahead of time. So the first conversation you need to have is what we've just talked about. You need to walk them through those five practices your kids need to understand. They've got to watch out for addiction. They have to understand. Don't post anything online you're not okay with everyone seeing. They need to think about the content and the motives and the consequences. Have that conversation. Train them ahead of time. Second conversation, you've got to talk about internet safety. Again, don't beat around the bush. Your child needs to understand that he or she will encounter people online that want to kill them. They need to understand that there are dangerous predators using the internet to try to snare children into dangerous situations. So have that discussion and talk about what exactly your child should do if he or she is contacted by someone they don't know and trust. Third, you must talk about pornography. You must talk openly and honestly about it. You need to understand your child is not just going to see pornography. He or she is going to be inundated by pornography and it's going to be violent, abusive, and misogynistic pornography because it's everywhere online. So it's not an if, it's a when. You want to be ahead of the ball. Prepare them for what to do when they see that pornography. What do they need to do with the device? Who do they need to tell? Fourth, you need to talk about online bullying. You need to train your child to recognize the signs of someone being bullied online. Maybe it's happening to a friend. Maybe it's happening to them. What should they do and who should they tell when they see that? Get them ready ahead of time for the evil that they're going to see and experience online. A practical idea that a friend shared with me, she's preparing her children to use Instagram. They're older than mine. They're, I think, around 10 or 11 What she did is first she set up Instagram accounts that they can't check. So it's their Instagram account, but they can't even get on it. Only she can. And so the only way for them to even see their Instagram profile is to stand next to her while she logs on and shows them. They can't post to it. They can't do anything with it. Eventually, they'll be ready to share the account with her. And then everything they do online, she sees, but they're able to log in. They're able to do stuff. Once they pass that test, then and only then will the account become theirs. What a great idea. She's treating the internet like you would treat a car. You've got to be trained before it's handed to you. Okay, so train them. Second, set boundaries. The big idea here when you think about boundaries, your kids need to understand that smartphones are not a right, they're a responsibility. No person on earth has a right to a smartphone. A smartphone is a very significant responsibility. You have to use it responsibly or you as a parent need to take it away from your child, at least for a time. I encourage you to formalize that responsibility by writing as a family a family media contract 
And what I mean by that is picture the contract you write or that you sign when you get a, a smartphone. It's all legal and economic and financial. I'm not talking about that contract. I'm talking about a moral contract between you and your children that spells out the rules, the expectations, and the consequences. Write it out in detail. What are they allowed to do? What are they not allowed to do? When are they allowed to have it? If they break these rules, what will happen? Write it all out. Have your child sign it and you sign it. Now, the good news is you don't have to start with a blank sheet of paper. If you will actually go to Google today and just Google the phrase family media contract, you will get hundreds of examples. Grab one of those and modify it to fit your child. Now, one of the keys when you're writing this contract is to remember every child is unique. So the particular rules and boundaries you set for your child need to be fitting and unique to that child at that stage of life. I encourage parents to not allow the word fair to enter the discussion. doesn't matter what their peers or siblings get or don't get. It's about each child, what that child is ready for at this age. Okay, so write a family media contract with your kids that sets out the boundaries. Let me give you a couple examples of boundaries that I would encourage you to think about adding to this contract. The first is that all devices sleep in lockup. I'm really concerned about the trend of kids sleeping with their devices. That is always bad, always. That no child should go to bed with a device. I don't think any adult should go to bed with a device. So I encourage you to have the device live in a lockup at night. That might literally be a locked cabinet where the device is charged. Or maybe it's a common space like in the living room. Or maybe it's in the parents' bedrooms. That's where the chargers are. Every device has to go there at some time at night and then can be checked out in the morning. A second boundary that I'd encourage you to think about, the ability to load apps and particularly dangerous apps. There's a number of apps that are being used more and more by young people to share pornography and to bully one another anonymously. If I were you, I would be especially careful about allowing your child to use Yik Yak, Snapchat, Tinder, Tumblr, Kick, or Ask FM. I wouldn't allow my kids to use it. You can arrive at your own conclusions. All six of those apps are being used today to share pornography and to bully people horribly in junior highs and high schools across the country. Really, really dangerous apps. So consider banning those apps. Consider locking the device with a parental code so they can't load any app they want. They have to go to you to get permission for an app. You need to think responsibly about those boundaries that you set for your kids. Third, as parents, we need to provide oversight. The big idea here is that until your child moves out of your house, he or she is under your oversight at all times, including when he or she is online. That means that your child does not get any privacy from you as a parent online. The kids need to understand. You as a parent, you have the right until they move out of your house to see anything on their phone at any time. They don't get to have any secret accounts hidden from you, no secret apps, no secret vaults. You have all of their passwords, and at any time you have the right to pick up their phone and see everything on it. Now, some parents will say, well, aren't we supposed to trust our kids? Well, let me ask, would you trust your 13-year-old to walk around with a loaded gun? Probably not. It's too dangerous. A smartphone is every bit as dangerous. 
And so you have the responsibility as the parent to put your nose into their business. I think a lot of people think, well, if if the parent is looking at the phone, isn't that sticking their nose in the business of those kids? You're the parent. That's where your nose belongs. You deserve the right. You have the right and the responsibility to watch over everything that they do online without exception. And so as you're watching over them, in particular, let me challenge you parents. These are four flags that you should raise, four red flags. When you're watching your kids' use of the internet and social media, first look for signs of addiction. Statistics are saying around 50% of teens are already addicted to social media, so look for those signs. They can't put it down. They can't go 10 minutes without checking it. Conversations or meals are interrupted by them checking updates. Look for signs of addiction. As soon as you see them, you need to help them to set boundaries so that that addiction doesn't grow to control them. Second, look for signs of narcissism. Narcissism means that they're consumed with, with vanity, with their appearance, with especially online pictures of themselves. That's going hand in hand with the spread of social media. Teenagers, especially young girls, are getting consumed by vanity. The flip side of that, look for any kind of like body image issues or eating issues. There's a rise in things like anorexia and bulimia because of this desire to show pictures of ourselves all the time online. Finally, look for any signs of possessiveness. If your child tries to hide the device from you or keep you from looking at it, that is a guaranteed red flag that there's something going on on that device that's not good and you need to figure out pretty quickly what's going on. This is pretty heavy stuff that we've been talking about. Let me give you parents a piece of really good news. The good news, whether your child will admit it or not, is your child actually really wants your help. They are desperate for your help, even if they'll never admit it to your face. Because here's the deal. Everyone who's a teen or a tween, they can't imagine life offline. Their entire life is lived online. Every relationship, every connection, every event is an online moment. The internet is the air they breathe. So they cannot imagine being off of the internet and off of social media. However, because they've grown up on the internet and on social media, they know better than we do how damaging it can be. They have seen how the internet and how social media can destroy their classmates and peers. And so they have this thing that they can't let go of, and yet they know how bad and toxic it can be. Nancy Jo Sales says, uh, uh, tells us about this incredibly sad conversation she had with a couple teenage girls. Social media is destroying our lives, said the girl at the Grove. So why don't you go off it, I asked. Because then we would have no life, said her friend. Tweens and teens feel if they go off social media, they become invisible. They don't exist anymore, but they know that it's incredibly toxic and destructive to them. And so they're caught in this horrid catch 22 and they need you to stand with them and help them through that. They need you there. Again, they may not admit it, but they really want you to stand next to them and help shepherd them and coach them and bless them through this toxic and challenging world that they cannot escape. They need your help. Do not abandon your children to the wolves in the middle of this fight. Enter it with them. Stand next to them. Keep this conversation going. We're talking about it for 40 minutes today. Let this be the beginning of 40 hours of conversation that you have in your family, with your friends, and especially with your kids. 
Talk about it openly. Talk about it honestly. Parents, please have the courage to talk to your kids about something like pornography. I know that's a word we don't feel comfortable using. We got to get over that. Because they're seeing it and hearing it all the time as early as early elementary school. So we need to get over our discomfort and we need to talk openly with our kids. Let's keep these conversations going. Let me give you some resources to keep these conversations going. The notes to this sermon, all of my detailed notes, all of my resources, all the slides will be up on the website Tuesday afternoon. You can get it, you can share it, you can use it however you would like. There's two books that I referenced today, Nancy Jo Sales, American Girls, Social Media and the Secret Lives of Teenagers. Um, Parental warning, it is very much rated R. It is an incredibly brutal book to read. It will make you weep. And yet, if you have a teen or tween, you probably need to read it. You need to know the world that they are living in. It is horrific, and you need to face that horror with them. Second book I referenced, Nicholas Carr, The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains. This will help you understand what your personal use of the internet and social media is doing to your brains, what it's doing to your kids' brains, so that you can think proactively about how to try to balance that out, how to resist that. Finally, a brand new book on the market, Andy Crouch's The TechWise Family, will give you one Christian family's attempt to set boundaries and get control and put technology in its place. So great resources, grab one of those, continue this conversation, continue this process of discovering how to walk with Jesus on the internet and in social media. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that your sovereignty and your power extend to every square inch of this universe, including the internet. Everything that happens on the internet is fully laid bare before you. Even when it's done anonymously or privately, you see it all. There is nothing that escapes your attention. You are sovereign over all, and so we... We praise you for that, Lord, that the unruly and chaotic world of the internet and social media is still under your sovereign control. We pray, Lord, that as you call us to enter into that online world, to share Jesus with the people of this world, we pray that you would give us courage and that you would give us wisdom. We pray that you would give us courage to to use the internet and use social media as a tool to share Jesus with this world. I pray, God, that when the people of this world see the people of Grace Bible Church online, that they would see love, that they would see kindness, that they would see humility, that they would see a willingness to forget a wrong. I, I pray, God, that our personal use of the internet would be so shockingly loving that people would be drawn to Jesus through our online presence. So I pray that you would give us courage to be like Jesus online. I pray, though, that you would also give us wisdom that we would make wise choices about boundaries, about, about the rules that we set, about the content that we share. I pray, God, help us to be wise so that we protect not only ourselves but also our kids. We pray, help us to train them well so that they can become this, this next generation of disciples who take the gospel to the world of the internet without letting the internet destroy them. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would go before us, that you would use us to reach this world for your son, Jesus Christ, so that he might be Lord of all things, including Lord of the internet and Lord of social media. We thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, God bless you guys. Have a great week.